Have you ever felt that some Bible studies are too much? You know, they're too long, they're too deep, they're too serious, they're too theological, and yeah, maybe they're too boring. <laughs> well, we're going to try to remedy that with this podcast, the Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. We're going to take a close look at Scripture. We're going to look at the cellular base of what God was saying through His Word. But we're not going to make it too much of anything. We're going to try to make it just right for everything. The song, Mary Did You Know, is not only a favorite Christmas song for millions of people, but it's also an interesting song to look at theologically. I mean, what did Mary know about Jesus the night he was born? The first time she held him in her arms, what did she know about him? Now, we look back at that moment through the lens of the cross and the resurrection. She could not have known about those things at that first moment of his birth, but she did know some things because if you look into the biblical record, Gabriel had told her certain things about him. Her cousin Elizabeth had told her certain things. Joseph himself certainly had told her some things about Jesus. So when the song asks the question, Mary, did you know that your baby boy would be heaven's perfect lamb? Did she know that? Could she have known that? Well, that's the question we're going to try to answer in this episode of Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. So the last two weeks, we've looked at what Mary knew, like I said, from the encounters that she's had with other people or angels. And so just a quick review. We know that she was told by Angel Gabriel that her son that she would have would be great, uh, that he would be the son of the Most High, that he would be, the, that he would be a king. And the way it was framed in Luke is that he would inherit the throne of David, and he would be king over the house of Jacob, which is clearly referenced to a Jewish kingship. That So she would have heard that as he would be the king of the Jews. And also that this kingdom would be an eternal kingdom that would not end. In her... And, and and my my belief is that she would have interpreted that to be a physical kingdom, that when Jesus was born, he would become uh, the the king of the Jews, and that in that day the understanding would have been by a Jewish person that it would be a physical kingdom on earth ruled by Jesus as king for the Jewish people, uh, and it would last for eternity, and and that's what I believe her. Uh, thinking would have been at that time. Uh, <clears throat> and I don't believe she would have thought of him as a spiritual king, a king of the heart, as we 
know him today. Uh, then the second thing is Elizabeth. She was told by Elizabeth that her son would be blessed by God. And she says to Mary, why does the mother of my Lord come to me? Uh, and so by saying mother of my Lord, what she's saying is that your child is going to be the Lord in the flesh. So one of the questions is asked in the song is, Mary, did you know that you are kissing the face of God? Mary, do you know that this child is the great I am? So if you want to turn back, you can, but you don't need to. I'll just read it to you. This was a, um, a prophecy from Isaiah, actually, uh, in Isaiah 7, uh, verse 14. Now, the question is, would Mary have been familiar with the scripture? So she knows she's a virgin, and she knows from what Elizabeth told her that the child is going to be the Lord uh, in the flesh. And so in Isaiah 7, verse 14, Isaiah is prophesying here. He says, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will, be, and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means, as we know, God with us. If you were here for the sermon last week, David did a good job of, of staking out how you translate Emmanuel. Basically, El is one of the names of God in, uh, the, in Hebrew, and uh, Emmanuel is uh, us. So Emmanuel is us, God, God with us. So if Mary knew that scripture from Isaiah... Uh, and she heard Elizabeth say, you are the mother of my Lord, the Lord, that this is God in the flesh, your baby will be God in the flesh. If she knew that prophecy from Isaiah, she put two and two together. I'm a virgin. Elizabeth says, my child is going to be the Lord. So this is going to be God in the flesh. So in the song, when Mary when asked, uh, did you know that when you kiss this baby, you kiss the face of God? Did you know he is the great I am? I think we can say yes to that. I can think we can say Mary would have known that. Because I think being a good uh, Jewish person uh, who studied the scripture and Torah, and Isaiah certainly was one of the most important uh, books that they could have studied at that time that she probably was familiar with that prophecy, that verse. So I'm going to say we can mark that up in Mary's favor as a yes, that she would have known that her child was God in the flesh. And you know, the other thing, too, is uh, God doesn't pick just anybody to fix. Um, like he picked the Apostle Paul uh, to become what he became. Right. Uh, this is not just any woman. This is a woman who who would have probably known everything in the Bible. Oh, yeah. She was obviously, you just have to assume she was righteous and that she, whatever about her life it was, we've talked about this before. You know, why did God pick David? I don't know. There was just something special about him. Why did he pick Mary? I don't know. There's something special about him. But let's not forget, he also picked Joseph. So, you know, it's he picked both of them for this. So let's look at what Joseph, let's look at our, our scripture for today, because Joseph's an important part of this, isn't he? So uh, Matthew 1, 18, it says, 
This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married. They were betrothed. They were engaged to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So what is this telling us that has happened that isn't really specifically said here? He thinks Mary cheated on him with someone else. And got she, he and Mary have had a conversation, haven't they? Yeah. <laughs> they <He's> <laughs> yes, exactly. And he doesn't believe <clears throat> she's pregnant from the Holy Spirit. She's a I mean, she was I'm sure that line has been used before. <laughs> <laughs> I really haven't had sex with him. I mean, can you blame him? I mean, you know, Mary, come on. Now, what kind of fool do you think I am to believe that kind of... I know you don't want to admit that you've had an affair with someone right under my nose during our betrothal period, but I'm not a fool. Now, couldn't you come up with some better story? You know, whatever, 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 whatever. The fact is that he didn't believe her, apparently. and But there's something we have to give to him for his credit, which is what? The man of, he didn't want to embarrass right. her. He wanted to quietly. Yeah. Not publicly disgrace her, he says. Which could have been even worse because the punishment, according to Jewish law, for a woman who was adulterous was to be stoned to death. So... Legally, he had every right to call for that to happen to Mary, but he didn't do that. And as a matter of fact, he didn't even want to make it public. It says that uh, because Joseph, her husband, was what? A righteous man, which means he wanted to do, a righteous man in this application means he wanted to do the right thing all the time. And he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quite, which I think we can, we can assume something else here. And that is that he loved her, Okay. Because if he had just been a man who had been, you know, cheated on and had been angry about it, you know, he could have reacted one way. But being a man who wants to do the right thing all the time and a man who loved Mary, he wouldn't want to cause her that kind of pain. He couldn't marry her, but he didn't have to hurt her publicly in that way. So I think it shows the love that he had for her as well. Which is, well, go ahead. Which is probably why God chose him. I mean, he knew that he was not going to be the type to do all that. Excellent. So. He was a total gentleman. I mean, that's, I mean, even today, I, you know, I don't, well, no, I can't, no, it's true. But I mean, you'd have to be pretty much of a tad. He wouldn't be a true gentleman if, you know, if, if it was a young person. And, well, I don't know. Anyway, um, she was going to be embarrassed enough when the baby began to grow in her womb anyway. So um, she was going to be embarrassed. I just wanted to say something very quickly, and I don't mean to get off the topic. But I just had this, this total revelation last night. It was last night watching the little donkey out there, you know. And, and uh, the, the, the caretaker of the animals was saying how this was mean, I mean, the animals were, what was not an important animal. But I said, are you kidding me? Kings rode on these animals. Yes, donkeys were important. Yeah. Donkeys were important. Yeah. Well, and she, Mary rode on a donkey when they went to Bethlehem. 
Joseph was not a poor man. Did she? Yeah. No, wait. Did she ride on a donkey? Yeah, didn't she? Why? How do you know that? She didn't walk. What do you mean, how do I know that? The Bible says so. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. No. No, but that's okay. Maybe she did. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not saying she walked. I'm just saying it doesn't really say a donkey. And in a minute, I'm going to read Joseph's journal to you. And he did. she did not run a donkey in this. So we know that that had to be. No, you're not wrong. You're not necessarily wrong. But you, if you like a donkey, go with a donkey. That's fine. Yeah, Dennis. I got a question about how Joseph thought he was going to pull this off. Yeah. Because you have to make a writ of divorcement. Yeah. You had to take it to the priest. That's true. It was a. It was not a quiet thing. It was a public event. A, probably a quiet public event, but it nevertheless was public. So how was he going to do this? Maybe he wouldn't list the reason for the divorce. Pardon? Maybe he wouldn't list the reason for the divorce, the real reason. I guess, you know, there are certain levels, like, you know, there's absolutely no way to totally ignore it, but on the level of stoning, public disgrace, quiet divorce, it was the least of the worst. It was the, there are no good ones, but this is the least of the worst. I they could just I say, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, and then you were divorced. Wasn't that the way it was in the Old Testament? Yeah, but I don't know that it was the case at this point in time, so. I always wonder why God made Joseph go through all this. Well, that's an interesting point, too, because he told Mary before she became pregnant. Joseph didn't know until after she became pregnant. So why couldn't he have told Joseph beforehand, too, to spare him this? Well, you know, maybe it's because sometimes, you know, we prove ourselves in the crucible. And maybe this was Joseph, his reaction to this just reaffirmed the kind of person he was to go through this. Maybe God also knew that Mary needed, in the end, someone to be with her, you know, to... To be with her and help her and all yeah, that. Yeah. Well, one of the things, too, we've got to stop and think about the role of the female and the role of the male were totally two different things. Absolutely. And the male was the master of the household right. in the story. Right. Women didn't have the rights that we see today. So when we forget that, you know, that has. She would have never much. got to Bethlehem. No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, she so, didn't go to get registered for her. Yeah, and even, you know, and that had something, I think, to play with it because Joseph had to get the message really clearly. Oh, you better stop what you're thinking right now because I'm the one that's in control, not you. So I think, you know, that had some impact upon what was going on with the angel appearing. And let's. If I had an angel appear to me right now, I'd be shutting up. and. Just... <laughs> <laughs> so let's see what Joseph did, uh, starting in verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived of her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So... Um, one thing I think is interesting here, just along what Joe just said, is that he's already told Gabriel has already told Mary that the name of the son should be Jesus, but now he also says that, or whoever this angel is, sometimes we don't know that it's Gabriel, we just assume that it probably was, 
But whoever this angel is, he tells Joseph the same thing. You are to name him Jesus. Now, why would he have to tell Joseph that if he's already told, if Mary's already been told that by an angel, why does the angel have to tell Joseph that also? Well, the because, don't mention because the man was going to yeah. be the controller of thing. Yeah. Exactly right. It was now. So Mary may have told him, you know, we're going to name him Jesus. But uh, I think two things. I think one is by I think Mary's already told Joseph that his name has to be Jesus. Uh, and I think by the angel telling uh, Joseph that also, it reconfirms what she told him as being true. Uh, but also because uh, you're right, it's up to the man to make the final decision on what the child's name will be. If you remember, John the Baptist uh, was told that this, that their son's name would be John, was to be John. Now, we don't have that. That was ever told to Elizabeth directly. But when the baby was born, remember, uh, Zachariah was struck dumb. He couldn't speak. And so when they asked what the name of the baby would be, Elizabeth said, we're going to name him John. Well, she she knew that because her husband had told her that's what the angel told him to name the baby, to be John. He couldn't speak. But if you read the story closely, even after she says it's going to be John, they went back to Zachariah and said, now, Zach, are you, John, no one in your family's named John. Where's his name John come from? This is a normal name. And uh, so they went back to him to, uh, to make sure, are, are you on board with this? And then he said, yes, you know, he made gestures or wrote out or whatever. Yes. And then he, and after that, he could speak again. So it was up to the father to name the child. And so, you know, God just wanted to make sure that Joseph knew it was going to be up to him. And he needed to call the baby Jesus. And again, reconfirm what Mary had told him. So the next part of that verse, Joseph was given another part of what he was going to do. Right, so let's talk about that a bit for a minute, because that's an important important thing. Because that tells Mary something else about Jesus uh, that hadn't been told to her at this point, that that he would save his people from their sins. Now, we look at that as Christians, and we have a certain application for what that means. But would Mary have thought that at the time? That right, right, if she was indeed what, what I said before, um, aware of the original prophecy, uh, she would she would have known the the original prophecy of Isaiah, where it doesn't it says the virgin will give birth to a son. Be God with us. Saved, yeah, God with us. But the 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 understanding of being saved from sins in pre-resurrection and crucifixion is different than saved from sins that we know today as Christians. There they had a whole uh, way, a whole ceremony or religious rituals that were set up around forgiving people for their sins. And it involved the sacrifice of animals and often usually the sacrifice of a lamb that would, you would sacrifice this lamb and the blood of the lamb would forgive you of your sins. So your sin would be transferred to the lamb. You put your hand on the lamb. Your sin would be transferred to the lamb. The lamb would be sacrificed, and your sin would be forgiven. Remember, the wages of sin is death. 
Well, the sin is transferred to the lamb. The lamb is sacrificed and dies. The blood of that lamb gets your sin forgiven temporarily until you sin again. You have to bring another lamb, that kind of thing. But that whole thing was orchestrated by the priest. By And, and in, in, in some cases, uh, especially on the Day of Atonement, only by the high priest. So what... The, the reason that this is important is because now Mary, who's been told he, that Jesus will be king of the Jews, now she hears through Joseph that he'll save his people from their sins. Now she realizes he's not just a king, he's a high priest. Because he will be responsible for making sure people, his people are forgiven of their sins. How will you do that? Well, he'll do just like the high priest does now. He'll be involved somehow in a sacrificial system that will involve sacrificing animals, and he will take care of that. And, and the reason that's important is because in that day, there was a distinct difference between being king and being priest. If you remember, Saul got in a lot of trouble because at one point when he was waiting on Samuel to come and sacrifice for his uh, army before they went into battle, uh, Samuel was delayed and delayed and delayed, and the and the guys were getting nervous, and his his men were leaving and deserting, and so he took it upon himself to make the sacrifice. And when Samuel got there, he said, "No, you are not the priest; you are the king. You did something only a priest should do," and and that got Saul in a lot of trouble. So what's important here is to know that this then is saying not only is Jesus king. But he's priest. He's king and priest. So let's, I want to take just a minute and review what were the responsibilities of the high priest in that day. So here is a list of four things that the high priest was his responsibility. One, the high priest was to know the will of God. When you looked at the high priest and he would speak, it was as though God was speaking through him. And he was seen as the mediator between God and man. Also, he offered the sin offering, as we just mentioned, for the entire nation. And he did that on the Day of Atonement, and it came in the form of a lamb. And he would sacrifice that lamb, and then he, on that one day only, was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies in the temple with that blood and sprinkle the lamb on the mercy seat, which was considered to be the throne of God on earth. And, and he would do that once a year for the sin of the nation for the year just gone by. And he had to do that every year so that yearly the nation would be forgiven of their sins. And then also he was the ambassador for God. He was the representative of God on earth. So these are the things that the high priest did, his responsibilities. And this, I think, is what Mary would have thought that Jesus was going to He's going to be king of this, of this prophesied kingdom for eternity, but he's also going to be the priest of that kingdom, the king and the priest. Now what's interesting is, in fact, Jesus did fulfill all of those things, didn't he? He was, he did know the will of God. He, he was the, is the mediator between us and God. He did stand before uh, God, and he did become the way that we have our sins forgiven. And he is the ambassador for God, telling us what God is like. So in the end, he actually did become all of these things, but in a way much different then I think Mary would have expected that to happen based on her understanding of what a priest would do and how people were saved by their sin. Back then, people were saved from their sins 
by sacrificial system, sacrificing animals, including lambs. And it says there too that it, what uh, Joseph says to her that he will be he will save his people from their sins. Again, that would be an implication and understanding that it was for the Jewish people and not for Gentiles at this point. So. I doubt she would have known that he was going to be the sacrifice. Exactly. She, she thinks his kingdom is going to last forever. Right. But, but, and, but, but during that kingdom, I think she has to think during that kingdom, we're still people. We're still human. We might still be committing sins. Yeah. So there will still need to be a sacrificial system in place to forgive us of our sins. And, and he will not only be king, he'll also be priest. He'll do both, have a dual role. And in fact, Jesus is king and priest, actually. So... So let's go back to the song now. You know what Gabriel said, what Elizabeth said, what Joseph said? So I want to look today. Mary, did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? Did she know that Jesus was heaven's perfect lamb? Well, Cheryl just weighed in on that, what she thinks. So, But let's take just a second and think, in Mary's mind, what, what reference would there have been to a lamb at that point? The sacrifice. The sacrifice, right? And so there were certain things about that lamb that were required. One was that it had to be without blemish. So you couldn't bring a, a you know a, a, a sick lamb or a lamb that had a sore or something. It had to be an unblemished lamb. And also, interestingly, many of the lambs that were used in the sacrifices and so forth in Jerusalem were actually raised and taken care of in Bethlehem near outside. Bethlehem was only about seven miles or so from Jerusalem. It was close. And so a lot of the, like the land, like the shepherds who were keeping the sheep at night when the angels appeared to them, they may have been actually caring for lambs that were being sheep that were having lambs that were being used for sacrifices in Jerusalem for, to forgive people of their sins. Did which it is, have to be a firstborn? I don't think so. I don't think so. It had to be though, without yeah, without blemish. So, so we've talked about how that sacrificial system worked. You want to have your sins forgiven. You bring your lamb to the temple to the priest, and your your sin is transferred, and 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 your sin is forgiven temporarily. But then after you get more, commit more sins, you have to bring another lamb on down the road the next time, and so on and so forth, and so on and so forth. Regarding the lamb. Um I assume that she would have been at the baptism of Jesus, the John the Baptist, where he said, Possibly. Behold, the Lamb of God. Possibly, yeah. So we have to, we say, you know, we had to define what the song, some of the words of the song, we had to define what the word save meant in the first week. We had to define what the word deliver meant in the second week. So this week, I think we have to define what the word lamb means. Uh, and I think we have to say that when the song says, that did you know that this baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb, then we have to define what is he saying there. Heaven's perfect lamb means that this lamb came from heaven. Well, check that box off. I think she rests pretty well that she knew that. Uh, That he was perfect. Well, perfect in that day would have meant perfect and unblemished. A perfect lamb, unblemished. But we know perfect means without sin, living or the perfect never life. Or having to be done again. Exactly. Well, his, his perfection is what made that possible. Yes. That perfect life leads to perfect sacrifice. Leads to he does, Jesus doesn't need to die over and over again, once and for all. 
and that's part of the perfection of it. And then, of course, the the lamb. And and there again, uh, we see Jesus as a different kind of lamb, don't we? Than she would have seen Jesus as. So uh, we see Jesus as the lamb who chose to be sacrificed. The lamb doesn't come and say, I volunteer. But Jesus voluntarily did that for us. One of the things, too, to remember is what's the purpose of Passover? The lamb was a central part, putting the blood of the on the post and everything. So they had some concept of that when they were freed from Egypt, you know, they were told, put blood of the unblemished land on the, your uh, doors and everything. So they had that that experience already, too. But with Jesus, when he was born and everything, the concept wasn't what we picture today. Exactly. It wasn't. The other thing, too, I mean, this is just a, just a common sense thing. You know, when your baby is born, you're not thinking about its death, are you? I mean, when Mary, you know, when that baby was born, all she was thinking about was his life. You know, if you say, do you know he's going to live a perfect life? She could have said, oh, yeah, he's going to live a perfect life. He's also going to die a perfect death. I'm not talking about death right now. I just had the baby. It's all about the life. So well, she, she wasn't even thinking along those. It's just this baby is born, and what kind of life is he going to have? But in her mind, well, the song, Perfect Lamb, lambs for sacrifice, so that kind of gives a foreshadowing of he is going to be sacrificed. Yes, right, you know? exactly. At least to us. <laughs> well, to us. Yeah. But to her, you know. Well, we, right, when we look back on it, we see that foreshadowing. Right. When she was told it, she's just thinking there's the sheep and the lambs yes, and all right. the animal sacrifices. Right. Right. But she knew that that's what they did with them. Right. So maybe she. I think one thing is safe to say is that Mary just Mary need Mary was not able to live a perfect life, so she needed a perfect lamb, and Jesus was the perfect lamb for her. And we're the same way. We can't live a perfect life, so we need a perfect lamb. When it says heaven's perfect lamb, yes, he was. Because we need it. <laughs> and, and Mary needed it too. But And we now look back and say, yes, Jesus is the lamb of God, sent by God. to, and, and what happens, there's a transference of he takes our sin and we get his righteousness. And then he dies for us. He takes the penalty of our sin just like that lamb did. And he forgives, our sins are forgiven. Uh, the, his blood is is uh, is spilled when it should have been it should have been our blood. In other words, he took our place. We deserved it. He didn't. Like this lamb doesn't deserve it, but we did. But the lamb takes our place. Jesus as our lamb takes our place. The difference is temporary, permanent. Could she have known at that time? I don't think possibly she could have. But thank goodness we know it today, don't we? <laughs> So that's the good news. Greg, this is all a bit, but not completely. Yeah. <clears throat> Jewish people today, <clears throat> what are they, what is their belief about forgiveness of sins? They're not sacrificing lambs anymore. No, no. I think they have different ways of doing it. I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but I know uh, a lot of it has to do is they're forgiven through the rituals that they have. You know, a lot of the Jewish thing is you have to live a good life 
And so, and when you go through things like Rosh Hashanah and so forth, all of that is part of being forgiven and you, you know, you're renewed and that kind of thing. Uh, it's a different, it's a more of a spiritual thing than a physical thing than it used to be. So, so one thing I wanted to kind of finish on, because next week we're going to do our Christmas uh, test, Christmas quiz. So have you, did you study this week? Did you study? Did you look into the, because we already know one of the questions on there is, I'm going to tell you ahead of time, how did Mary get to Bethlehem? So we've already had some speculation about that. We're going to see that next week, too. We're going to... Because a long time ago, and they... They didn't travel by themselves because it wasn't safe. They right. went to somebody with somebody else and got a big group of people, and they could have chipped together to ride the donkey. And she could have ridden in the car with the children and somebody else. So I was, I'm wondering how they. Um, That's why you're getting one. <laughs> I mean, it's also possible that given the census and that everyone had to go somewhere, yes. that there was just so many people on the road that it wasn't going to be a problem that particular time. So, so you're going to tell us? So we, you said this was a giveaway for the... That you already know answered one of the questions, maybe. So, well, I don't know the answer. Well, that's that. Okay, well, then you're just... We'll have to wait and see. But next week, we're also going to see a video from The Chosen with Mary and Joseph going to Bethlehem. So that'll be interesting. Uh, but one thing I just kind of want to put a bow on this thing, tied up with a bow, and that is that uh, what Mary and Joseph and uh, the disciples and so forth knew about Jesus before his death and resurrection was one thing. But what they knew after the resurrection completely reoriented their understanding. So it's not a problem for us to think that Mary or Joseph or the disciples didn't know all this about Jesus dying for their sins and being raised and being king of our hearts and, and Lord of our spirits and the, and the high priest and all. It's not really that important that they, it doesn't detract in any way what they knew of Jesus at the time, because it's like a before and after picture. You know, I'm the before picture. Dennis is the after picture, okay? So this is before and after. So before Mary understood certain things in a certain way, but after the resurrection, she understood those things in a completely different way, as did they all. As a matter of fact, I don't, I'm not going to take time to do it right now because we're running late, but if you look at Luke chapter 24, where Jesus appears to the disciples in the upper room, it says that they were they, they didn't know what to think, basically. And it says that he opened their minds. Now, these are disciples who've been with him. And it says even then he had to open their minds because even then they didn't all put it all, they weren't able to put it all together. And he says he helped them to understand what the scripture said about him. And the word understand there has the connotation of like putting together a jigsaw puzzle. In other words, in the Old Testament, everything is in there about Jesus, but none of it is like in one easy, tidy place. It's all in different places. It's like putting together a jigsaw puzzle. And so what Jesus did in the upper room is he opened their minds to understand. He put together the jigsaw puzzle for them so they could understand who he was. So 
we can't blame them for not knowing. It was hard to understand. There was no easy place to get all of this and put it all together. But we are able to do it because we have the word of God. And he was able to do it for them so that they could see and understand the whole picture of it. So there's a before Mary and an after Mary. We see Mary after, and that's the way it should be. Because that, because if Jesus doesn't rise from the dead, everything that Mary was told, everything that Joseph was told was a lie. The birth of Jesus only gets his power from the cross and the empty tomb. That's what gives the power to his birth. So, Ruth? Well, absolutely. Yeah, no question. And we see the Holy Spirit in we see the Holy Spirit in this in these passages. The Holy Spirit is all over these things before Jesus was born. So And in Romans, as far as the Jews go today. He says that they have been blinded for a season, meaning a time. I don't think a lot of people then thought it was going to be 2,000 years. <laughs> it has. But sometimes it'd be open, just like he did there. Yeah. As a whole, I think, but. But there are individuals oh, yeah. that still come to time. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Okay, so does someone else have your hand up? Or your, oh, okay. So this is the third, um, I'll read as quickly as I can. This is the third Joseph's Journal entry. Again, found this in the uh, archaeological dig in Anderson Township. And uh, we had the first one was the beginning. The next one was the betrothal. This one is to Bethlehem. So you're going to disagree with me on a lot of this, but this is my, this is my understanding of it. Okay, so here's where it goes. This is Joseph, Joseph writing in his journal. There was no time to go to Bethlehem. That much I knew. I had just started working on a new chair for the rabbi in Nazareth, and he was expecting it to be finished by the end of the week. The job was more important than just making a chair. If the rabbi liked my work, he would surely recommend me to members of his congregation, and that could mean a whole year's worth of work. I needed to show off my skills on this one, and that would take time. You cannot rush workmanship. As soon as I delivered that order, I knew the neighbor's candle holder needed to be done, and my cousin's wheelbarrow had to be finished so he could carry barley home from the field. And then there was Mary. She had returned to Nazareth after spending three months with her cousin Elizabeth, waiting for Elizabeth's son to be born. She stayed long enough to make sure Elizabeth could get along without her, and then came home. When Mary arrived back in Nazareth, we both had so much to talk about. She told me about how Elizabeth had surprised her upon her arrival, greeting Mary as one expectant mother to another, even though Mary was showing no sign of her pregnancy. And the things Elizabeth said to her to said to Mary were remarkable, even echoing the words of the angel Gabriel. I was finally able to share my own angel story too, the message and the message from that dream. The message I will never forget. I was to stay engaged to Mary because the child she carried was a part of God's plan. I asked her to forgive me for not believing her at first, thinking she had been unfaithful to me. I should have known better. But who could have known such a thing? We rejoiced in all we had been told, and Mary repeated the song that God had put on her heart while she was with Elizabeth, My soul magnifies the Lord. When Mary returned, she was three months pregnant, but hardly showing at all. During the next six months, though, we spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to hide Mary's pregnancy from nosy neighbors. Of course, we had to break the news to her parents, their initial reaction was a lot like mine, disbelief. But after they heard my own story, they too realized that God was doing something incredible in our lives and in the life of our people. So they helped us keep Mary from prying eyes. When she had to go out in public, we tried to cover her with baggy outer garments and shawls that hid her belly from view. Doing so was not difficult at first, but as the months passed, the task got harder and harder, and at nine months, it had become almost impossible. 
What were we going to do when Mary gave birth? Believe me, we gave it a lot of thought. We can think almost of nothing else, actually. We deliberated a long time, deciding eventually to take our example from Father Abraham. When he was told by God to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, Abraham did not run away like Jonah had done. He did not question God as Job had done. Instead, he raised his knife, ready to do exactly what God had told him to do. How could he? He could because he trusted God. He trusted God to make all things right. He knew in his heart that God could bring Isaac back to life after the sacrifice because God's promise required Isaac to live. Mary and I wanted to trust God like Abraham had done. Not knowing how the Lord would work out everything, we were absolutely confident that he would be able to do it, and we just left it in his hands. After all, compared to Abraham, Mary giving birth before marriage would be, a much, would be much easier for God to handle than the death of a son who had become a sacrificial lamb. God's promises are promises never broken, after all, whether promised to Abraham, Jonah, Job, or to Mary and I. The good news was that all of this was happening in a place we knew, a place that was familiar to us, our home of Nazareth. Every nook and cranny of those streets we had memorized as children. Mary's home provided her with the seclusion she needed with the help of her mother and father. My workshop gave me comfort, keeping me busy with my ner- and my nerves somewhat under control. But now we were being told that we had to leave Nazareth. We had to go to Bethlehem. Bethlehem? Why? They said it was because some Roman politician had decided to take a new census. And we all knew what that meant. There was only one reason for the Romans to take a census. They were going to raise our taxes again. They had taken a census and raised our taxes only a handful of years before, which had caused an uprising among some of our Jewish leaders. Unfortunately, the result was bloody and many of our men lost their lives. This time, no one was thinking of an uprising. We only wanted the census to be over as soon as possible. My own priority was to figure out how we would get to Bethlehem, since the Romans required everyone to be counted at their family's ancestral home. As descendants of David, Mary and I were required to travel to Bethlehem, the place where David had been anointed as Israel's next king, and the place where he grew up as a shepherd of his family's flock. It would be a journey of over 70 miles. Normally, that would not be so hard. But at the moment, Mary was nine months pregnant. She could not possibly walk that far on her own. Yay, Grady. (laughs) Even riding a donkey would be difficult because she would be jostled for hours along the way, endangering her health and maybe the health of the baby. We would try to hop, we would we would tr- we could try to ride in my work cart, but if it rained, the road to Na- from Nazareth to Bethlehem could become a muddy, sticky mess for the wheels. In the end, though, we decided to use the cart and trust God for good weather. Still, the trip was arduous for Mary. She did her best to act brave. She did not want me to know how uncomfortable she was, even on the cart. When I looked at her, she would offer me a slight smile, but I tur- but as I turned my head. I would catch a glimpse of that smile changing to a grimace. I had hoped we could make it to Bethlehem in five days, covering about 15 miles a day, which is reasonable even at a slower pace caused by all the people on the road. They would be traveling to their own ancestral homes to be registered. Five days came and went, but we were still only a bit more than halfway there. We had to stop more often than I had expected along the way, so we ended up spending eight days on the road. Each night we would pull aside, looking for a place where our donkey could eat and we could rest. I would build a small fire. We would huddle as close as possible to the fire and to one another, trying to stay warm. Neither of us us slept much. In the morning, we would pack up the cart, yoke up the donkey, climb back up on the seat, and start off again. 
The day was a combination of trying to dodge people who were walking or safely pass other cars that were coming in the opposite direction. One wrong move and we could have ended up off the road in a cart-hungry ditch. When we began the trip, Mary was tired. By the time we made it to the outskirts of Bethlehem, she was exhausted. What could I do? I decided the best thing would be to find an inn where we could spend the first night in town, just the two of us, inside on a real bed. At least we could catch our breath. As you drove past the town entrance, I stopped and asked for directions. We know that's not true then. We know this is a false story because men never ask for directions. <laughs> I was told that every place in town was full, even family homes with extra rooms. Many were sleeping on the streets or in the fields. I could not ask Mary to sleep out in the fields again. I could not do it. So I drove around hoping to find some place we could go. <clears throat> At last I saw a small tidy inn on the southern edge of town, and I hoped that maybe, just maybe, I knocked at the door. No one came, so I knocked again, louder. Finally, a short man pulled open the squeaking door. He was almost as wide as he was tall, bald, with a tooth missing from his exaggerated frown. I asked him if he could spare a room, any room for us. I moved aside so he could see that Mary was pregnant and weary. His answer was biting. No, he said, there was no room for us in the inn. Maybe it was the disappointment on my face or the tears forming in Mary's eyes, but the innkeeper's look suddenly softened a bit. There was no room for us in the inn, he said, but we could use his stable at back, behind the inn. It had a roof and four walls and hay for bedding and an empty stall that he would let us use for free. I jumped at the offer. Yes, we would take it. I felt like I was floating as we, grabbed, gra as we guided our cart back to the stable. We took care of the donkey first, then we tried to make that stall as comfortable for us as possible. Within an hour, we had soft hay to lay on, a couple of candles given to us by the innkeeper's wife, and blankets from a few guests inside who wanted to help us. We were safe, we were inside, we were warm, but we were confused. How could it be that God would put us in a town like Bethlehem and in a stable, a smelly, dirty place built for animals, not for people? How could it be that he would put his own son there even while still in Mary's womb? It just did not seem right. What was God thinking, we had to wonder? What kind of plan was this? It was certainly unexpected. We had to wonder. So that's part four. Part three. Maybe part four, the birth. We'll see next week. That concludes this episode of Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. I pray that you've learned something new about the Lord today, and He's given you some new insight into who He is and how much He loves you. Remember, the eternal God is our refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. May in that refuge today and those everlasting arms, you find the provision that you need, the protection that you need, the power that you need, and through those, the peace that you need. Remember, he said, my peace I give you. Peace be with you. Shalom.